Boat Talk is made possible in part by Atlantic Challenge, home of the Apprentice Shop and the Community Sailing Program, offering youth and adult boat building classes year-round, plus internships, apprenticeships, and marine mentoring for middle school students. Atlantic Challenge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to craftsmanship, community, and the traditions of the sea. 594-1800 or AtlanticChallenge.com. And by the Redfern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for powerboats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island. RedfernBoat.com. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. Good morning. It's time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 102.9 in Bangor. Boat Talk is WERU's own call-in show for folks contemplating things naval with your two shanty-clad hosts, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. Mike <laughs> is the handsome one over there. I'm the suave one. And fortunately, to, uh, to add a little bit of veracity to the show, we have back... Our good friend and occasional host, also Captain Giffy Full. Welcome back, Giffy. Thank you. Glad to have you on. I have to uh, acknowledge that I've been away for a couple of weeks, and Mike has done all the legwork to getting this show together. And uh, we'll uh, just sort of let Mike jump in and say, "We have, we don't have, we don't, but we don't have a really big show planned this morning, Alan." (laughs) (laughs) Did anybody mention that to you? Uh, I was going to try to. Perhaps you've never been around Boat Talk before. Uh, Boat Talk, like I say, contemplate all things naval, and and, uh, no, we don't have a big agenda this morning. I should get the phone call, too. It's a a special phone call number that is impossible to memorize. You have to write this down, 1-866-625-9378. One thing we've learned around Boat Talk is not to overschedule subjects too hard we got to leave room for the audience you know and and uh we've learned to trust the audience on boat talk it's a very interesting knowledgeable audience and uh, you never know who's going to call about what and uh you know so we've left time this morning we may uh talk to uh david demaray this morning david had a what i call an excellent adventure kind of boat hitchhiking around and maybe david will call us uh after a little bit you may have noticed new theme music this morning to me that's the most exciting thing about uh, this edition of Boat Talk, and if I could, uh, I find it kind of interesting because it's uh, pioneer days in in the internet in terms especially copyright law, and uh, so we have for years been using Lyle Lovett's If I Had a Boat for the theme of Boat Talk, wonderful theme music, very important to have good theme music, Lyle <laughs> Lovett, top notch, you know, we love that, 
And to play it on the radio, not a problem. But when we started posting the Boat Talk program onto the World Wide Web, uh, it become a copyright issue. And if you were to download it, you would be stealing 30 seconds of Lyle's work. And apparently uh, the copyright licensing fee for us would start at $300. And that's not the fee. That's the entry to the club mm. sort of thing. Like uh, give us $300 and then bend over. And, and even Rush Limbaugh does not put music on his website when he posts his shows. So, right. um, so we needed a new piece of music. And uh, we found this, uh, and it's by Schooner Fair. My friends from Schooner Fair, a uh, good Maine maritime music-based bunch, and yes. it's called Eyes the By. It's a uh, Newfoundland sea shanty. Thank you very much, folks. Yeah, that we have uh, adopted it with their kind permission, and uh, all that will get posted on the website. We hope to uh, interview them at some point about the power of water music, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, Eyes the By that builds boat and Eyes the By that sails her. So that's uh, sort of the gist of boat talk, and we... Like I say, we'll interrupt ourselves about any time, take a call. Yes, and I think uh, it's appropriate, too, to, to mention that the uh, penny whistle is the instrument in that uh, tune from Schooner Fair. That, uh, that's because that's what our budget was, would allow. As I say, the uh, entry fee to the club uh, was like $300, and then the fees are a little exorbitant on top of that. So, you know, we're volunteers here. We do boat talk because we love it, and uh, you kind of have to balance all that stuff. It's kind of an interesting proposition, you know. So anyway, now, uh, speaking of uh, interesting propositions, let's thank, uh, oh, got it right here, uh, Scott Gabrielson. He's an artist from Woonsocket, Rhode Island. He listens to the show on the Internet. Last week he was in the air and he dropped off a couple of lithographs for us. It is a, a piece called Coming to America. It's a seal's eye view of the westernization of the modern world. It's a pretty a pretty big, uh, I'd say probably yeah, uh, three little, feet by four feet or so. A quite large, full-color poster of a, a seal looking out. And it's interesting what he's seeing. A little trippy if I could, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> lend the term. Uh, right. Seal breaking water and all around it is the Nina Pinta Santa Maria, you know, right. some uh, Native Americans. and Christopher Columbus in the corner. It's a Shout out to Scott this morning. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was downhill from there. Yep. Yep, my ancestors on the Mayflower. <laughs> Were they now? Yeah. Well, there was one. A full? Did, but everybody's got an ancestor that was on the was Mayflower. Was it a, a full? Oh, no, no. no. Chilton. Chilton, yep. Yeah. I had ancestors, too. Yeah. We were probably uh, old card buddies from way back. Uh, probably not speaking to each other. <laughs> the phone has been ringing here yeah. already. We ought to give the number before we answer it. one 625 if you'd like to call us here. We're doing boat talk this morning, and as I say, we're always interested to see who's there and about what. Yes. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, hi, guys. Hi. Uh, I'm sort of like uh, out of context here. I just have a question that I've had for a while, and I said to myself, well, this is the time to ask it. It's a detailed kind of question. I'm asking it for a friend of mine who asked it to me, and I couldn't answer. He was showing me his boat. Somebody give him. It's a uh, old-town uh, runabout kind of a boat. And it's got, uh, you know, it's built canoe style. Mm-hmm. And it's got uh, cedar uh, strakes on. And... Um, one of the ones is not quite the garbered one, but I think it might be the next one out or the next one after that, way back in the stern where it's really flat, has got a humongous old split 
through the whole oh must be four or five feet up from the from the from the transom up forward and he wants to restore the boat and this guy's a good woodworker and he definitely has the skill to do it but i didn't even know how to steer him to begin to do a project like that does he have to take somehow or other that lap straight there right out and put a new one in and how what would he do would he scarf it or could could he just take part of it and or could he like just give up that project and epoxy it or what would you think he doesn't want a fiberglass to think because it's a nice old boat you say it's a wooden it's, old town yeah, it yeah be able to eat, yeah you know i like I used to tell people, if you hold the boat up to the phone so I can get a better look at it, yeah, I'll tell there you. you go. <laughs> but uh, I just from based on what you say, I think he could take a, a very small diameter router uh, blade and uh, run a router up through it. Uh-huh. Not very much, just enough to clean the crack out. Yeah. And then he could uh, glue what we call a spline or uh, right yeah. into it. Yeah, and I think that would take care of it. Do it with the with the boat is cedar. It's cedar, yeah. Yeah, well, they do it and, uh, you know, put a piece of cedar spline in it, and I think it would be fine done with epoxy glue. Do you yeah. think he could get away with a spline that might be even as wide as three-eighths of an inch in case the crack is crooked, you know? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no problem on the width there. The glue will be doing all yeah, the work. And really the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, everything has shrunk, and uh, the wood yeah. has it's real is split shrunk. to yeah. try to compensate, yeah. Yeah, that's what's happened. And, and there weren't <laughs> jogs underneath it, you know, or something like that. So it might have, you know, it might have flexed a little bit more than it would have liked to. Okay. Nope. Uh, spline in a nice piece of wood there to take up the space that is missing yeah, by the shrinkage. Much better than un- unriveting all those rivets and trying to get a new piece of board in. You could do that if you wanted to. Uh, but he again, doesn't want to. He doesn't want yeah, to. And, and uh, if you're really crude, you just mix up some thickened epoxy, you know, and you you kind of smush it into the crack there and hope it doesn't split anymore. That may or may not right. work. Right. But, uh, again. Right. Better yeah. to have a piece of wood in there that could have epoxy on either edge of it. Yep, and yeah. wood's a good uh, pound per pound. Why uh, mix up, yeah. uh, you know, petroleum products to take the space if you can use a nice piece of wood? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'll tell him that if he's not listening, which he ought to be. Right. <laughs> okay. All Thanks right. Good morning. Thanks. Thanks for your call. And yep. Apparently somebody else standing by there. The number, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Boat Talk, and, uh, you know. Okay, let, let's split over to our next call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hello. Hello. Uh, just wonder how uh, uh, Raw Faith is doing and the bus project. This is uh, Fred in St. George. Morning, Fred. How are you doing down there? Pretty darn good. Fred, uh, usual suspect, but yeah, I guess that's all right. <laughs> I just took uh, one of the kids from Raw Faith on a boat delivery the other day, had a uh, you know need for some crew, and um, there is not too much happening with Raw Faith. She's still under uh, house arrest in Rockland there, and honestly, uh, you know, there's uh, not been a lot of action there, but Raw Faith was conceived originally because uh, George's daughter Elizabeth, from uh, her her early age, uh, uh, has been in a wheelchair with Marfan syndrome, a degenerative spinal cord disease, and so that was sort of how George thought that up, having a uh, handicapped daughter. Now, Elizabeth is an interesting lady, and uh, she 
how can we put this gently, uh, you know, wasn't as interested in raw faith by the time it got launched as she was in the beginning. But uh, she is visiting at the present time, and she's doing well, apparently, although uh, her life is very challenged by her disease. But she's visiting at the present time, and, and that's pretty much raw faith, uh, kind of sitting there, you know. Uh, the bus project, I don't know anything about. Alan, usually yes. more on that end. Uh, right. I've, I can only say I checked up on it only. We'll uh, see, it's called. We'll see, yes. Uh, checked up on him a couple of months ago, and he's moved to Florida the bus itself is still in Kentucky, and he's hoping to bring that over to Florida and, and start doing some more work on that. It's and still for the unfamiliar? The, the unfamiliar is that it is a, a school bus. You know, the uh, big yellow school bus that we all, well, not all of us, but many of us, rode to school. Um, yeah. he, he is converting that. He's welded the whole bottom side of it uh, watertight and put in some flotation tanks underneath it, put this uh, sort of snowplow-looking rig on the very front of it to be a wave breaker, has figured out try how he's going to try to motivate this thing through the water. Sunbathing deck on top, don't forget that. Yeah, it's right, a big, big deck on top, and it in, intends to take this boat from the United States all the way across through the Mediterranean to Israel and then on around the world. Partly on land and partly over the water. Right. It's Yes, it's a true amphibious um, vehicle. He has actually floated it in the Mississippi River. I have pictures of it actually floating there. Uh, it still doesn't have any motors in it. So, um, And he's an interesting it's fellow. Way to go. It's one of my favorite boat talk stories. Uh, a couple of years ago, we come in and we had some stuff from the internet and Giffy was here and I says, Giffy, look at this. We're going to talk to a fellow who wants to sail a school boat around... Uh, a uh, school bus around the world, and Giffy says he's not going to enjoy talking to me. <laughs> and and uh, so we talked to Mark that morning, and Mark can talk a great stream about turning the differential sideways and welding it upside down. Boy, he can, he can talk your ear off He there. has actually made some previous amphibious. Yep, and he's done smaller, a geo car, and at the end of it, Giffy sort of wished him well and says, we'll see, which is <laughs> a pun on the name of the boat. And so, and Mark, here's the other punchline. He is... Uh, acknowledge that this may kill him but as he says i'd rather uh you know i'd rather be off doing that when i go instead of uh you know wasting my time ashore not even having any dreams mm -hmm. so yeah, once well. again it's yep. sign of, kind of like the raw faith thing it involves a dream and whether it turns out right is tricky on land let alone on the water right i think we three would all say that it need those folks both need to go out in the middle of the water in a decent boat first and see what it's really like out there before they <laughs> set off Yep, so that's pretty much what we know about we'll see in raw faith. Uh, and then it's wonderful to hear about people who have dreams and are following them. Well, yeah. Oh, and, that's true. You know, at what point, uh, uh, you know, is your dream dangerous to me or just outrageous to me? Or, to, you know, does it uh, going to ruin my life? Why can't I just let you go off and do that, you know? Uh, how much is going to cost me for the Coast Guard to pull you back sort of thing? <laughs> Which is my the basis of my objection to raw faith. Uh, yeah. Uh. So anyway, well, right. thank, well, thanks very much. Thank you for calling this morning, thank Fred. You. Anytime. Yeah. When the phone keeps ringing here this morning, it's a light flashing device, so we get a little lightning storm when that happens. And <laughs> one, you can, uh, yeah. Okay, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Let's go right to the next caller. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Well, it's David Demaray. Hey, in. David. David, how are you this morning? Uh, pretty good. I'm Another glad to hear it. Who's you know is following his dream 
Now, yeah. we, we talked uh, last year or the year before that, and you were asking me how, you know, how can we uh, get a bunch of boat delivery work? And as I said, it, you could advertise, but it's more about contacts, you know, and one thing will lead to another. So basically, you got yourself a boat delivery, and after that, you just kept going, didn't you? Yeah. I would just like to set the context. Go ahead, right ahead. people who don't know who I am or what I'm about, that uh, I was diagnosed with uh, late-stage cancer four years ago, and... Then uh, got into remission last year and was single unexpectedly and uh, decided, hey, I have a new life. What am I going to do with it? My kids said, go sail, Dad. That's what you love to do. And so in September, I set off on a 40-foot swan from Stockton Springs <clears throat> to Norfolk and just went from there for five months, pretty much, um, hitchhiking on boats. And uh, we happened to end up in Norfolk right at the end of the Chesapeake Bay Schooner Race. And it seemed like a perfect opportunity. At the end of the race, people usually need to transport their boats back home. So I got on a 65-foot schooner with a nice elderly couple, going up to Chesapeake leisurely, and then did a quick hitch back to Norfolk and got on a 110-foot schooner going up to Connecticut. Um, in October, which is not the usual way, going north in October. Sure. And uh, it did get colder and colder and more and more storms that we had to sit out. And that was a great adventure, a great boat to be on, great captain. And um, and then, let's see, I'm not really sure what you know exactly where I went. I guess I came up to Portland by train and then uh, did a boat delivery to Bermuda and then... Got in a little storm going to Bermuda, didn't you, David? Yes, had a big storm, yep. Is that uh, Cimarron? Right, very good. Yeah. You got it, yep. Wonderful uh, wooden S&S y'all. And uh, 50 knot winds, 30-foot seas, and I was enthralled with the storm. I just thought it was spectacular. I felt safe. I trusted the boat. Um, the captain was pretty well incapacitated with back pain, heart pain, and major nausea, just uh, taking up space in the cockpit, basically, and needing quite a bit of care, but the rest of us were doing well, and it was just, I was just in awe of the wind and the waves and how they changed, and it was spectacular. How well do you uh, think a school bus would do out there, David? Yeah, not very well. <laughs> <laughs> not well at all. Especially when I just heard stories about 50-foot waves, and <laughs> I uh, don't seem like they would do very well. From your point of view, though, in that storm, you didn't ever feel that you were in any, uh, you never looked around and said you might die tonight sort of thing? Um, no, the thought occurred to me, but it wasn't something that I chose to dwell on. You know, it's, Again, it's sort of like the guy on... We'll see, you know, it's like, well, if this is the way I go, this is the way I go, but it's better than being in a hospital. <laughs> and here comes a 30-foot wave, and, and the boat goes up, and the wave goes under, and here comes another one, and it does exactly. it again, and after a while, you do get some confidence, don't you? Yeah, and it's like boats have been doing this for centuries, you know, and going through big storms, and, you know, it's like I knew, I had been in bigger storms, I had been on a, um, uh, out skirts of a hurricane and in the night and uh you know it was a lot scarier and with less experienced people so i've lived through more difficult things 
And uh, this one seemed relatively mild to me. <laughs> it's really all in your perspective. You know, it's like one of my other deliveries was from the Chesapeake from Annapolis to Tortola on a catamaran, and the captain, who has years of experience, 50,000 ocean miles, was freaking out with 30-knot winds. And I was just like, well, this is nothing, you know? It's like 20-foot seas, 30-knot winds. It's like, heck, I've been in 50-knot winds, 30-foot seas, and, and, you know, I trusted that, too. But it is different in a catamaran, and, you know, she didn't trust the boat and things like that. But it was a great experience being on a lot of different boats and with a lot of different captains, and, um, yeah. It was a good experience. And then it got aborted because the cancer came back. I sent my blood back from St. Martin's and all escalated numbers. So I was work- I'm was i working on getting my captain's license and decided to get my sea time in by going on different boats. And, uh, and it was quite effective. And I would have finished and gotten the rest of my sea time had I been able to, you know, continue doing cruising and bringing boats up from the south, you know, up until May or whatever. But I had to abort at the end of February, and so now I still have a few months of uh, sea time that I need to get for my captain's license. Very sorry to hear about the health issues there, David. But how, um, if I could just for a second, uh, the technique of boat hitchhiking, we're done with one boat. You stand at the end of the marina on the outermost dock with your thumb <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, I know, exactly. How do you find the next one? What was, how, how, what was your trick? Well, it's a lot of walking the docks and talking to people. I made up, you know, a little business card that I would hand out to just about everybody that I talked to. Um, I did have an ad in Point East magazine and on their website that one person saw in Newport, um, which was the person I spent the most time with cruising for six weeks in the Caribbean. Um, and, you know, just sort of being at the right place at the right time or talking to people and people would hear about me and tell somebody else. and um, Being out there, word of mouth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I would call home every now and then to try to get, you know, voicemail messages or check my email and things like that and would communicate with people that way. You also, not to put too fine a point on it, you were willing to go for free. Right, exactly. On these boat deliveries, yeah. which there's two kind of categories of boat deliveries. I, I like to get paid for it. It's part of what I do for work, you know. And, um, you know, I love to go for a boat ride, too, but I kind of like to get paid for it because, you know, it's yeah. good work. So, Right. Yeah, for me it was, you know, the room and board and experience and you're being able to get out sailing and not have to shell out a lot of money and buy my own boat and all of that, you know, was well worth it to me considering you can pay a lot of thousands of dollars to different companies to get that experience. And I figured I was getting a great deal by doing it, you know, basically for free. You know, they would pay my transportation back to wherever I started or where I needed to go to the next delivery and things like that. There was one uh, paid job that I had that was a real score with, um, you know, just talking to people, and someone said, "Well, there's this guy who needs some sailing instruction. You know, he wants, you know, he needs someone to go out with him." And it was a really wonderful guy who, you know, wanted me to see the hottest spots in the BVI. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> so he would take me to the best snorkeling areas, and I got paid. You know, and I taught him to sail and how to moor it himself. And he was totally delighted, and I was totally delighted. It was a great deal, and I got paid. But there was a couple of others that I got paid for that were fancy yachts. You know, one of the newest, fanciest yachts it happened to end up at the Newport Boat Show, and so that was a great place to talk to people. And I would take the dinghy, whatever dinghy boat I was on, and go around to the other boats that were anchored, moored, and, uh, you know, give people my business card that way, too. So it wasn't just pounding the docks. Being out on the water was the best. And in St. John, where I was landbound for a couple of days, I would swim out to the boat. <laughs> but I didn't have my business cards with me. I just, you know, give people contact info. I didn't have waterproof business cards. But that was really a fun thing to do was to swim from boat to boat, too. So I was getting like a, pretty desperate. I wanted to get on another boat. I didn't want to be on land. <laughs> well, that's uh, displaying a good attitude, which is hopefully uh, good for your health all around, too. Now, speaking of teaching people sailing, uh, you you are uh, getting your boat, uh, what is it, uh, in sailing instruction? sailing certification. Certification, certification yeah. Certification, right, I just got that. And I uh, recommend the going to be giving program. lessons with come boating down in Belfast. Right, very good. Yep. And Sometimes. teaching children and adults, and would love to take people out. It's a great children's program in Nutshell Prams, and it's a Drascom for the adult lessons. Come Boating is a public uh, organization down in Belfast Harbor. Uh, you know, go down to the Harbor Master's office basically in Belfast, and, and uh, you kind of can't miss them. David, what's your prognosis? Uh, good. Yeah, I'll be back in remission and out sailing again a lot. So I don't know, are there other calls? Because I have other stories that I could tell and talk about environmental concerns and various aspects of things that I learned and saw on my travels. Uh, well, we could, yeah, we could talk a little bit further. We have some other issues we'd like to talk about, too. But uh, well, I can hang up and see how it goes for the next 35 minutes and call in if there's a slack time. Well, let me ask you one quick question related to what uh-huh. you've been talking about when you go, as you say, boat hitchhiking. seems like there's a, a little bit of trepidation I have when you try to do that because you, you're in a strange place and you're meeting some strange people on a strange boat, and you don't really always realize what you're going to get into until you're out in some place where you can't get out of it. Absolutely. Very true. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a lot of trust on the owner or captain's part as well as mine because they don't know really who I am necessarily, and yeah, I don't know who they are, and it it is a big risk. Um, you know, I feel like I sort of lucked out. I didn't get along necessarily that well with the captain's owners um, since I don't drink and not a very mainstream person. <laughs> 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 and just really trusting and really enjoy sailing. And <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, it was. it is a risk. It's a big trust thing, and, you know, I didn't have anything really unfortunate, and the boats did hold up through long journeys, and that was good. But, yeah, 10 days with people that you don't know is a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I did that, you know, a couple times from different parts of the East Coast to the Caribbean or Bermuda. I, I think you've been most fortunate. You've been very yes. fortunate in the people you've met and the boat you went in because, you know, often it, it doesn't work out to be that way. Uh, in my own case, once in a while, I've had somebody come with me in my boat for a long trip, 
and I've had great people, and I've had people that were totally, totally useless. Useless. All I did is take on another person to wait on, on top of running the boat. And uh, also... Uh, I heard a lot of stories about people's experiences with useless passengers. Yeah. Well, people who are not so much useless as a drain on the program. Yeah, exactly. If they were like a zero sum, it would be all right. But, uh, right. you know... The other, the other aspect is, uh, you know, you can, you can get on... Probably you're probably wise enough to be able to size up what the boat is, but I've seen boats making trips that had no business to make them whatsoever, right. and it, the condition was so poor. Uh, and I have, in one case, took care of a very very nice, very well built boat that was severely damaged going to Bermuda. She was dismasted, rolled completely over. Severely damaged, a man washed overboard, and the boat was really essentially totally wrecked. And uh, I went to Bermuda and, and took care of the situation as best I could. Was the man, man was on a lifeline? The, the man lived. The man lived, and the story is so long I couldn't tell it mm-hmm. here today. But he got washed overboard, and he got found 48 hours later, oh. and he was... He was, wow. He was severely damaged. He was, I mean, his shoulders wow. were all broken. And mentally and physically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but he was still alive. Uh, I had a chance to do a boat delivery this morning to uh, go to Falmouth, Massachusetts, a uh, 38-footer out of Northeast Harbor, and the fellow basically asked me one question. Uh, he didn't ask me what my experience was. He says, can you stay sober for 36 hours? <laughs> <laughs> and there. Uh, we do have another phone call. So, Dave, if you don't mind standing by, we're going to take another phone call right That's here. That's fine. Yeah, very good. Great Thanks, Dave. Great to talk Thanks to you. To Bye-bye. Be well. Good morning. You're on Boat Talk. What's up? Yes, uh, Giffy, this is Martin. Yeah. Oh, 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 boy, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. we're, you, were you perhaps willing to talk about taking off in boats that uh, weren't in proper condition? Yeah, 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 yeah. What have I done? Oh, yes, you would bring up a subject like that. <laughs> oh. Why don't you tell us about it? <laughs> well, being a greenhorn that had uh, learned how to sail at uh, Wooden Boat School many years ago, I uh, ran into this old codger that asked me if I would help him bring a boat from... Um, Boston, I believe it was, to uh, Brooklyn, Maine. What do you mean, old? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we took off in a boat, and Giffy said, well, can you get the navigational lights going? So I started scrounging around what had been a cocktail barge for probably about 10 years, I guess it was, wasn't it, Giffy? Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, and it took me, as I recall, about six hours to find enough stuff to get its navigational lights going. Then, I don't know, where were we off of Southern Maine when it's through the belt? Well, about 20 miles uh, southeast of Portland. <laughs> yeah. Middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> Giffy down in the hole, me up above, we're rolling the belt on with a starter motor. You know, I refused to go down both of us, be down in the engine compartment at one time, because I thought there's got to be somebody upstairs here if something really goes wrong. <laughs> But that boat turned out to be a gorgeous yacht when you got done with it. I mean, you know, you, you clearly saw what was the potential that was there. And, it, and I had a great time on that trip, too, by the way. Would I do it again? 
<laughs> yes, but I'd have to be younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was when I when you started on the point about whether the people were assets or not. I thought, geez, I wonder if he's talking about me. <laughs> Well, that is sort of a story about, uh, you know, uh, having a kind of a boat dream, and then you've got a necessity to get it back to Maine. So what do you do? You untie it, hope for the best, head her out, right? Yep. Yeah. So it, it, it really was a lot of fun. And I don't, I know there's, you know, hundreds of people that attended the uh, relaunching of Golden Rings. And, uh, I mean, it was just the most beautiful boat when he got done. But you can't imagine, you know, so... Anybody out there in uh, Radio Land listening to this program, this guy is the real deal. And what was the boat exactly, Giffy? A uh, 42-foot uh, single-screw diesel cruiser that had, was in really pretty poor shape. Yeah. 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 Martin, one thing I was smart enough to do, okay, <laughs> and that's we had all the fuel filters cleaned, thoroughly cleaned before we left <laughs> Ah, okay. That's yeah. why we made it. <laughs> well, and oh, there's yeah. there's a good example of somebody, like you say, who's taking a bit of a chance, but doing it intelligently, you know. Well, we lucked out, too, because uh, when he got down in there, it turned out that, uh, you know, we had brought some, you know, rudimentary tools and things, but uh, there were some tools there, and there was the old set of belts were down there. So, yeah. you know, we rolled those on, and, you know, Went on up in and anchored for the night and then headed out the next morning and, you know, everything went fine, actually. So that's a good lesson, I suppose, to somebody is you know, carry spare drive belts, too. Yeah, it's uh, and fuel filters. always good to have what you need when you need it because uh, you just can't, like, uh, swim into the shore, uh, the store generally. So, yeah. And Giffy I alerted the uh, crew down at Burnett's Automotive that you were on. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so I'll get off the phone now. All right. All right. We'll talk, talk to you later. To you. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. <clears throat> We're doing boat talk this morning. Boat talk is, uh, you know, a navally contemplative kind of call-in show we do monthly here, the second Tuesday of every month, uh, in here with Alan Sprague and Captain Giffy Full this morning. And we always interrupt what we're doing to uh, speak with anybody who will call in the number, one 866 Six two five nine three seven eight. Just quickly from the file here. Last month we talked about uh, three friends that went up on. Uh, oh, it wasn't Chamberlain Lake? Uh, maybe it was Chamberlain yeah, Lake. It was Chamberlain. Yeah, Chamberlain Lake up uh, past uh, Baxter Park. Uh, a little Memorial Day camping trip, and uh, their motorboat got swamped. Three of them ended up in the water, and two of them died. And uh, we told that story last uh, month <clears throat> at some detail. Turns out there is a. Uh, Little part of the story we didn't know. They had a dog along as well, a golden retriever. And the golden retriever went into the water and was never seen since. And uh, a couple weeks later, the golden retriever was found. And the the dog basically went north and uh, was seen in different locations over a, a period of a couple weeks uh, as far away as the Canadian border. Holy cow. And then ended up back uh, towards Millinocket and was uh, found by some people who coaxed it with some food that it was very eager to uh, sure. you know, absorb. And uh, they had read something in the paper, and the kids that lost their father got their dog back. So mm. and kind of a, a lassie odyssey through the North Woods, you know. Yeah. So, and we also talked last month about uh, there is a new, uh, and don't have the exact, uh, don't have the clipping uh, still with us again, so we may get the details slightly long, but there's a federal fisheries mandate that has come down, and the, and the result is for all the 50 states 
that it is probably a, a fair likelihood that sooner or later you are going to need a license to go saltwater fishing, which you don't need to do right now to go uh, down to the wharf and throw over a mackerel jig uh, you've never needed. A license for that, but that's in the offing, and we talked about that last month, and Giffy is not happy about such a proposal. It has my dander up, you might say, and it's not because I want to fish. It bothers me a lot that it means that 10, 12, whatever age children that love to go to down to the float or down the pier and catch mackerel, it's going to cost them 15 bucks. And the other thing I think is unfair, uh, if a father wants to take two children flounder fishing or mackerel fishing, it's going to cost them 45 bucks before they even buy a, a lure or bait. I, I don't think that's right. I think it's another excuse for politicians to dip into the taxpayer's pocket, and it, and, and they're going to, only going to take the wa- money and waste it. Just stop and think. Who's going to enforce it? Who's going to enforce the law? Yep, they're going to hire more people, buy more boats, and spend three times as much money. Okay. It sounds like an What do you want the kids to do? Go up and get in tr- trouble someplace on the street? You're just taking one more chance for kids to behave themselves, enjoy the outdoors, do a little fishing. It isn't everybody that's going to be able kids. It's every every kid is not going to be able to have fifteen bucks to buy a license. Well, every summer we we all see kids on their bicycles with a fishing pole in one hand heading down yeah, to the water. Yeah. Can't tell you how much time I spent throwing yeah. mackerel jig into Casco yeah. Bay when I was a kid. I always went fishing as a kid. Always. And yeah. I, I just don't think it's right. You're going to charge people for everything they do, regardless of what it is, pretty soon. And the government, of course, makes the point that, uh, you know, there's a public resource that is uh, being a cost to us, so we got to ding you so you can pay for it, but then they dump it into the general fund, and who knows what actually gets paid for with that money. They waste half the money. I've seen it time and time again. Interesting. I can show you where they waste it, you know. Interesting. Um, the uh, like I said, the uh, boy with a with a mackerel jig and a, and a uh, fishing pole is just a beautiful thing. And if you want to learn something about mackerel fishing, I throw along this little tip. I mean, the ocean is always there, but sometimes it's a better time to go mackerel fishing than other times. And an incoming tide, I believe, is what you're looking for. Uh, you want to go mackerel fishing? That's what I learned as a boy. We we went on the incoming tide. Don't ask me why, but. Just throwing that out there. Maybe somebody knows more about mackerel fishing than I do. Matter of fact, I bet it's really a pretty good chance. Give us a call this morning, 1-866-625-9378. It's the number here. And uh, like I said, we are doing boat talk this morning. The phone's not ringing right now. Good chance for you to call. Some more maritime news. Um, Washburn and Doughty, famous old main boat builders. They do some, uh, you know, they build like uh, steel barges and steel uh, tugs. They build tugs, tugs. Yeah, they, yeah. The business is really tugs. Yeah. They were uh, looking at a piece of property on the Bucksport waterfront just by the uh, the uh, paper mill in Bucksport there and thought that they were going to build uh, tugs and, and uh, put a good shipbuilding thing right on the river there, but they have decided not to. There were uh, two factors, I think. One was the uh, possible environmental uh, what would you call it, liabilities on the property there from its use as a coal pier for years and years, I believe, and also the elevation of the 
piece of property was a problem because you're working on things got to come in and out of the river and it's kind of up on a hump. And what Washburn and Doughty has decided to do is go to Harpswell instead. And the place they're going to use in Harpswell was the old Navy facility there, which was also the facility that they looked at when Harpswell was voting on whether to have liquefied natural gas uh, carriers come in and out, the old LNG uh, proposal that was defeated, what, two years ago now for Harpswell. Uh, same piece of property. Uh, that's where Washburn and Doughty is going. Further uh, maritime news in Bucksport, right uh, adjacent to where we're talking about, there is the fuel pier in Bucksport. If you uh going over the bridge there, you may see a large ship hooked up there, you know, and they're generally uh, discharging, uh, you know, fuel. But that's in bad shape. It's going to need to be rebuilt. And, uh, a couple million dollars going to set all those pylons right, which is another interesting thing to me. Uh, Torito worms are here now, Giffy. Well, yes, they they are. But uh, I looked at some of that piling over in um, Belfast, and you definitely, you know, it's a worm, but it's a different kind of worm. Torito worm. Let's explain our terms here. Torito worms, the shipworms. Yeah, shipworms. Yeah, will bore in to anything, and then they they eat with the grain. In other words, like in a plank in a boat, they'll eat fore and aft. They'll just eat the length of it. And what they're doing is making themselves a burrow for a house. Well, they, they, yeah. But the worms that I've seen uh, that cause damage here are what they call down south a gribble. They they eat from the outside, and they just eat it away from the outside. Doesn't change the problem, but it's just it, it is to to me what I've seen is a different worm, my not point, a shipworm per se. Yeah, my point would be that uh, it's changing here. The water is changing. You know, there didn't used to be those uh, wood eating worms in the main waters, and now they are here. Giffy was referring to an incident in Belfast Harbor. They put in oak pilings for their nice new marina down there, and a couple of summers later was a pretty calm July day. I believe one of the oak pilings fell over and pretty much stunned people and they went down and it, it had been eaten up. And it did not take a long time either. I, I was altering a float, crawled out from underneath it, and I bumped the swim ladder with my head and broke it in half. And I don't mean my head. <laughs> broke the ladder in half. And it, it had been eaten by worms. And uh, So anyway, the, the water is changing here. It's kind of interesting, you know. Last month we had uh, Michael, Wo- Michael War. Uh, boat builder from uh, Stonington on as a guest here. Morning, Michael, if you're listening. And uh, we talked about electrolysis. You had another thing that while your boat is sitting in the water, it's, you know, in a way being consumed by the stray electrical currents that come from mixing different metals in a solution, which is your seawater, let alone uh, further. In uh, boats, the problem can be horribly, horribly complicated by the electricity that you use on the boat or uh, the plug that you uh, have on the shore to run your television on your boat being, uh, you know, getting into the water, too. And uh, I know also that's uh, another favorite subject, a giphy electron- yeah. electrolysis well, it, there. Uh, a long time ago, you didn't see see that problem much. You didn't really see it much. Why? And the boats, and the boats, you know, 75 years ago, they didn't have very good electrical systems either. And... Uh, the wire wasn't very uh, as good as it is today at all, and uh, but you've got boats with a lot full of electronics. When I was a young man, you know, average yacht didn't have any electronics to speak of. Uh, she might have a generator, 
but she wasn't full of electronics mm-hmm. and uh, complicated systems. Um, so that's changed. Plus, uh, you know, like where I came from in Marblehead, you got, you got, Lord, you got ten times as many boats, which means there's ten times as many moorings with chain and stuff hanging down. More metal in the yeah, water. Yeah, more metal in the water all the time. So, who knows? I don't propose that I'm an expert on it. I just know what I've seen. And uh, well, you're right. It does seem to be getting worse, and probably yeah, several well, reasons for yeah, it. Several reasons. Mixed metals is a lot of it. Uh, all it, uh, most of it is due to, to the mixed metals, and also. Um, all you have to do is have one little tiny, tiny leak in a boat, electrical leak in a boat, and it's go- half the time it goes everywhere. Yeah. Current. And you can't see an electrical leak like you can a water leak, can you? No, you They're can hard see, enough to find you can sometimes. See, you can see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we have another call, so let's, let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. How are you? I'm Good. Fine. Who are we speaking with this morning? I uh, talking to Joe from Bucksport. Hey, Joe. Hey, you guys talking about electrolysis and all that, um, it's a big issue, and it's real, but how's about the correlation between copper bottom paint and electrolysis in our harbors? As the copper bottom paint falls off, which is what it does, it recycles itself, it lands on the bottom of the, the harbors, and what what are we doing here? I mean, the copper is the best conductor there is, and we put it on the bottom of our boats, and it falls off and lands in the harbor, and then we all complain about electrolysis. Um, we've got to find an alternative to bottom paint not made out of copper. That's my point. Interesting, Joe. Uh, years ago, uh, early 1700s, the British Navy worried about shipworms eating their eating the bottoms of their their naval, naval ships there. Uh, Started to copper clad them, and the first one they did, the uh, they got in horrible problems. The planks fell off because the copper reacted with the iron nails, and, and that didn't work out well. Well, they, they probably nailed it on with iron nails. Yeah, <laughs> they found out how to isolate that with tar and stuff. But uh, there is a new, uh, there's a company down on uh, Cape Cod called E Paints. E-Paints. Uh, E-Paint.net, I believe. Yeah, website. and they are, they've come up with a new scheme, and we mean to talk to these people sooner or later here on Boat Talk. New scheme for bottom paint. Instead of being uh, the traditional scheme for killing uh, nasty things in the water with bottom paint is to poison them with heavy metals, uh, copper. I, I want to ask this gentleman a question. How much copper do you think actually lands on the bottom? Well... Take a, uh, just take a harbor, um, I'll just pull it out of the top of my head, Rockland Harbor. How many boats are in, you know, there's got to be, um, you know, 200 boats out there with bottom paint. And how many people actually scrape the bottom of their boat each year rather than slapping it on? I, I, I think there's a lot of copper that lands on the bottom of the ocean. Could be, but I don't know, and I, I tend to doubt it. I tend to doubt it. Now, I'll throw another one at you. Years ago, as uh, Mike mentioned, uh, and it's gone on for a long time, and very successfully, if people could afford it, in big sailing ships, they completely coppered the bottom. Sheet copper. Yep. 
and it would stay on there generally. I've seen boats that have been on there 20 years, 20 yeah. years, and it's still in good condition. Didn't need to be replaced. Now, uh, what do you imagine, what percentage of that copper do you think leached off? I don't think, I think that's probably a better alternative than bottom paint. Well, it's, that's what I think. I mean, I think that copper probably next to nothing ever leached off of it. Right, but if you go into a yard, go into a boatyard, and walk around the yards when the boats are all hauled out, and you can see the, the bottom paint going onto the into the yard, and then it rains and it goes into the ocean. So, you know, a lot of it. Well, that could be, that could be, but... Uh, you know, we, we they're, they're making a lot of restrictions on that now, and if you, you're going to, you know, sand or scrape or something the bottom of a boat, you've got to, you've got to contain it. The Pinky Schooner Harbor time, they beach and uh, do their bottom. That's yeah, been their traditional. Oh, yeah. uh, we always did our big boats that way. Yeah, but you don't now <laughs> just beach it out, scrape the bottom, slap some on, and put it back. Now you get some tarps down on the beach. You bring it in very carefully. You got to contain your waste. It's a, it's a new day. Yep. The e-paint people in Cape Cod, their uh, scheme is not uh, heavy metal based. Like you say, copper and tin based is the way it's uh, been done. What they have done is come up with a system based on hydrogen peroxide. There you go. HO, which is part of H2O, I guess, uh, from mm-hmm. old chemistry days. And, and it's meant to, uh, as your bottom paint, you say, uh, normally wears off a blade of it's called. Uh, you know, you can, you can uh, touch it and you get a smear on your hand. It's always refreshing itself by washing away. That's the scheme with the hydrogen peroxide. The, uh, it reacts with the seawater. I, I probably have this a little wrong chemistry-wise, but um, making little bubbles all the time, nothing's going to stick to a bubble, you know. That's mm-hmm. the idea behind the e-paint. Yeah, well, I, bl- I believe it's UV the, the other thing, makes it go the, off. The other thing that, that will work is, you know, when you haul your dinghy out at the end of the season and you squirt it with bleach, and not a lot, a bleach solution. Everything on the bottom of your dinghy will, will hose off within a day. Bleach is not good for the world either, is it? No, it's not. But I'm saying in minor concentrations as opposed to copper. Yeah. Um, is, is copper? You know, I don't think you can, you can light a light bulb with, with bleach, but I know you can light a light bulb with copper. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Good show. Thank you, Joe. Good morning. And somebody else standing by, isn't there? Yes, I believe there is. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Well, I have to confess that I use a little bit of copper bottom paint, too. But I uh, just put together a a new little boat, uh, just a little uh, sort of a rowing dinghy, and I got a roll-out solar panel. You know one of those little roll-out solar panels? Mm Mm-hmm. And I uh, have a little battery and an electric trolling motor, and I've just been cruising around the... um, Harbor and that's like a solar-powered boat. And how much of a of a charge can you get out of your solar panel there? He gets a good charge out of it every time he uses it. <laughs> and he's got a smooth bottom, I, I feel, too, because, uh, you know, he uses that copper. But Yeah. Yeah, I, have to, I did just one coat, but I figure, well, what the heck. But it's, uh, it's about, uh, I don't know, it's just got like a one-horse motor, but it, like, tools around the harbor pretty well. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got a much better idea that's environmentally friendly, and it doesn't use any copper bottom paint at all, doesn't use any Clorox or anything else, and you get all the way around the harbor with it. What's that? Pair of oars. 
Yeah, well, that's uh, that's my uh, auxiliary motor is a pair of oars. <laughs> Your sweep uh, oars, but it is kind of fun. I, I just thought, I wonder if anybody's done a bigger version of this because I was thinking you could do, uh, uh, you know, you could probably do even a little 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 bit of lobstering or get around or something with a little, you know, a little bigger motor and a little bigger panel. Your trolling electric trolling motor there is quiet too, isn't it? Silent. Isn't that a nice thing? It's awesome. It's like it's like just I don't know tooling around the harbor and it's really kind of fun. <laughs> Well, and, uh, I can tell you actually a bigger story because I have done that. Um, I ha- I built a 19 foot sailboat, and that was my auxiliary motor for that. Was a three horsepower electric trolling motor. I didn't have a solar panel. Mine was just batteries that I took off and charged and put back on again. But I hung the um, the electric trolling motor sort of off the back end of my rudder and hung it in such a way that I could pull it up out of the water when I wasn't using it, and I could swing it down in the water, and it would push the rudder around. worked very well on the boat, and as you said, it was totally silent, and when it was in the water, people were amazed at how I could sail a boat without having the sails up. Yeah. I don't know. It's just been kind of fun. It's a fun uh, fun little uh, experiment here. I, I figure I charge it about um, a third of an amp, and which isn't a whole lot, but I figure I'd probably use, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, 12 hours worth of sunlight for every hour that I... Uh, cruise around, you know. Yeah, well, they definitely work. Now, I put a solar panel on my present boat, which I, I've never had a solar panel before. And since I put it on over a year ago, I've never had one bit of battery problem. My batteries have never, never been down. Even yeah. when I'm living aboard the boat, they have never been down once. Batteries don't like to be low on charge. That's why that wears the battery out. So by constantly putting the charge in, that's just that's good for the battery yeah. right there. Yeah, I'd I didn't like use. To, yeah, could I ca- carry this? The, the no, whatever you want to call it, environmental thing, a little step further, because uh, it's a lot of discussion about windmill power and all this stuff now and. I wish people would think more about the amount of power that's freeze every hour in uh, tidal power on this coast. And okay. that doesn't mean building dams and retaining the water, but just places where the water flows, it just, you know, it's thousands of horsepower, all for free, and it's not used. Mm-hmm. And no, And you can put... Turbines in the in the certain places, and uh, you'd never even see them, and wouldn't disturb the coastline or your view or anything else. And haven't even touched it hardly. Yeah, uh, I think that's going to be the future. The power of the inherent power of the motion of this planet. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting. You're going to see changes in the future. I'm convinced that that. Uh, as much as I love them and I, I want people to be able to continue their businesses, I I see the future of fuel-hungry engines is going to be squeezed down. On the water and on the highways. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, it's going to be squeezed down. Um, but no, I guess they're all opinionated. <laughs> well, I think it's a, it's a good direction, Giffy. It, obviously, oil is a limited resource, and the sooner we realize it, the, the better off we'll all be. 
So, is that it for your phone call, folks? That, that's it for my phone call. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm got... Ivor from Swan's Island. Oh, hello, Ivor. Good to hear from you. Ivor, one, one, one question. Uh, small boat, uh, how much space do the solar panels take up? I mean, oh, uh, it's just a rollout solar panel that I got at the Common Ground Fair. It's a 300, uh, uh, I guess it's a, uh, I don't know, I've forgotten the name of it exactly, but it's a 300, and it's a, uh, just a little rollout flexible solar panel that you can roll up into a ball. Interesting. So it doesn't. It isn't like a fixed panel. So I just uh, tied it in the in the bow of the boat, and it kind of gets the sun as uh, you know, I, right there, sitting at the uh, wharf. So perfect. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know some some boaters who come up uh, our way from down south every summer, and they say they've tried the rollout panels, and they work fine as long as they have them, but they don't seem to last long on their boats. They. Uh, Tend, I don't know. Tend to disappear after a week or two. You know what I mean? Oh uh, yeah, I should be quiet. Yeah. But um, but the thing about it though, there, uh, it seems to me like also I don't need a charge controller, which is good. Didn't need any of that kind of stuff, which I have on my other solar system at home. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's just I think it's they say if it's under, uh, what is it, a hundredth of uh, whatever the uh, the output of the the uh, the battery will take, like 120 amp. If you get like you know less than one one amp or whatever. Then you know you don't need any charge control. It just trickles in there and just fills it up. So you don't have to no no heavy duty uh, hassles with it. Yeah. So far. Well, you're ahead of the curve, Iver. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. Well, thanks for that. Thank thanks you for calling this morning. We are coming up to the end of boat talk this morning, and uh, you know, uh, as I said, sometimes it's it's good not to overschedule guests here. Uh, things that we can talk about in the future, you know, are, are uh, always up in the air, and we take audience suggestions on that. Uh, we would like to talk to the e-paint people sometime. Uh, also, our friend Paul Molino, he has got a Guggenheim Fellowship, and he's just uh, written his second book on the fisheries called Swimming in Circles, which is just excellent. And I talked to uh, Paul's uh, lady, Regina, and Regina says that he's working on the third book now, which is going to be about sustainable fish farming and uh his point in swimming in circles being that uh fish farming at the present time is not uh not in uh you know not in proper order for uh sustainability and such hasn't been the dream that people were thinking of I'd like to talk to paul at uh some time you know and and uh like i said we are open to suggestions here on boat talk and in a way it's an embarrassment of riches the marine beat and you can also use the boat talk website too to uh Try to reach us. It's boattalk.org. That's boat talk, one word, two T's. And I guess it's about time for us to make room for Jim Pahoosh coming up next here on Community Radio, WERU FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 102.9 in Bangor. Thanks again to Schooner Fair for our excellent. Eyes to buy the builds the boat and eyes to buy the sails, sir. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, what's, what's more right up straight than that? And, uh, like I say, we hope to be talking to the boys later on about uh, uh, maritime music and, again, whatever you're thinking uh, could fit into the next Boat Talk comes up second Tuesday of the month. And uh, you stay tuned. Yeah. Thanks to Amy, too, down in the engine room.
This hour of boat talk is made possible in part by Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net.